The Guardian. This is John Agard for The Guardian Children's Books Podcast. Excuse me, standing on one leg, I'm half cast. When you say half cast, you mean when Picasso makes red and green is a half cast canvas. Explain yourself what you mean when you say half cast. You mean when light and shadow mix in the sky is a half cast weather. Well, in that case, England weather nearly always half cast. In fact, some of them cloud half cast, still them overcast, so spiteful you, they don't want the sun to pass a ras. Explain yourself what you mean when you say half cast. You mean when Tchaikovsky sit down at the piano and mix a black key with a white key is a half cast symphony. Explain yourself what you mean. I'm listening to you with the keen half of my ear. I'm looking at you with the keen half of my eye. And when I'm introduced to you, I'm sure you'll understand why I offer you half a hand. And when I sleep at night, I close half a eye. Consequently, when I dream, I dream half a dream. And when moon begin to glow, I half cast human being. Cast half a shadow. But you must come back tomorrow with the whole of your eye and the whole of your ear and the whole of your mind. And I will tell you the other half of my story. That poem, it's called Half Cast and Other Poems, isn't it? The book is one of two books by you in the Diverse Voices Books list, which is the list of the 50 best books that represent children from different cultures published from 1950 to the present day. So you've got two in that list. It's an amazing poem. Can I ask you a few questions that have been sent in by our um, young members? Fair enough. Um, How important do you think it is for young people to see themselves represented in books and poems? Oh, oh, vitally important. I must say that this poem, which was chosen for the GCSE and was on the syllabus for about 10 years, they don't approach the poet to say, well, I'm thinking of this. The examiners choose it. It doesn't mean that you, the poet, might necessarily have chosen that particular poem. Why I'm glad they chose it is because um, from reading as part of the poets on the syllabus for GCSE Poetry Life, 
I'm touched by the way it has provoked teachers and young people from all walks of life to think about the interracial connections of human beings. For example, when I was in Dubai, Isabel, an English woman who organizes the Emirates Festival and married an Arab, she's, and they do the same syllabus as the British syllabus. And she was saying, my daughter came home reciting half caste. This is in the middle of Dubai, English mother, Arab father. I think we tend to reduce half caste to a very simplistic polarity of black and white. So I was very touched by that. And um, uh, of course, going back to the kind of roots of that word, within the Western mindset, half caste suggests a dilution of purity. In other words, it goes back to that um, subconscious association of white and purity and black and evil within the, the biblical tradition, within our metaphors, within our language. So um, looked at from an objective perspective, if the white mindset sees a mixture of race as a dilution of purity, equally a black mindset can see half caste as a dilution of blackness. And I always say to teenagers when I do this poem, purity leads to genocide. That's the ultimate logical conclusion. So I'm glad that poem was chosen because they begin to see the richness when human beings connect mm -hmm. beyond geography, beyond skin, and beyond conditioning. Do you think the problem of racism and prejudice has massively lessened in the UK since you've been here? Well, you haven't got to the stage of utopia mm. because um, uh, there is an ingrained tribalism within human beings. I think the, the saving grace of the Caribbean is that we take um, the diversity of color for granted. Um, English people are, are a little more tentative for example, but uttering the word black, as you know, way back, going back in the 50s and the 60s, even in the Caribbean, people might say a colored man because they think they're using a euphemistic expression, oh, this person is colored. And that's because we have a whole baggage attached to the word black and a whole baggage attached to the word white from your fairy tales, your metaphors. I don't need to repeat what's old hat. But if you go through the dictionary, you know, blackmailed, blacklisted, blackballed, it suggests something negative. Mm. Whereas white within that Judeo-Christian mindset equals purity. You know, going to Roman Catholic school, the priest would tell us certain sins, a mortal sin, you have a, a black spot on your lily-white soul. So people would think they were being kind by skirting around the issue and saying colored and non-white, these types of expressions. And then when you had the Black Power Movement, James Brown's classic, say it loud, I am black and proud. 
people begin to feel more at ease with that expression. But having said that, even though things have improved, there is still a deep-seated um, tribalism. So even within 21st century Britain, you can be complacent if a black person walks into a pub in the middle of a village. You still might get that silence, like a spaghetti western. You know, heads are raised. You enter a pub, heads are raised, they look around. So that's, I think that's a reality. But at the same time, um, in the Caribbean, because of our very diverse mixtures, my mother is Portuguese. Uh, my grandfather came from Madeira. Um, my father, in the Caribbean language of pigmentation and shadism, would have been called colored because he isn't jet black. So we take diversity of color for granted without meaning any offense. Now, I think you're going to do another reading from Goldilocks on CCTV. Tell us a bit about Rumpelstiltskin. I remember this plate, a very colorful plate, with this little dwarf-like man, with his foot stuck, you know. And I think I felt a sympathy for him because um, when the princess guessed his name, it didn't seem quite fair to my little childhood mind. She didn't guess his name because she was clever and subtle and, um, shall we say, um, prophetic. She had actually overheard him uttering his name. So something about it felt that, uh, oh, it wasn't quite fair. I wasn't thinking as an adult and saying, well, this man was expecting a lot. He wanted a baby, and that's a lot to demand of a woman. I'm thinking, well, oh, the poor chap, he helped her to spin straw into gold. His foot is stuck. But one of the traumatic realities of slavery was that you lost your name. And in many tribal societies, you have a secret name because your name is power. So you wouldn't utter your name. You have a secret name. And maybe that's part of my subconscious. You never know what happens in a poem. What's in a name? My name. My name. Dearer to me than winning the lottery. My name. The core of me. The very soul of me. My name, the key to the door of me. My name, the sound that trills to the note of me. My name, the vessel that fills to the spill of me. For I am rumpelt stilt skin. Known by that name only by my dwarf-born kin. Ah, rum pelt stilt skin. No more a secret, hushed for all ages. But now, big and bold across tabloid pages, damn whoever told my name, my name to the Paparazzi, for they have spilt the beans of me, unlit the spark of me, unsung the lack of me, unstrung 
the bow of me, tolled the very bell of me, indeed tweaked the inner nose of me, whoever it was that sold my story to the press. May they be bone-weak. May they be hell-blessed. <laughs> you really like Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> 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 it's brilliant. Um, what advice would you give to a young person now who wants to be a writer or a poet? Oh, well, I was always touched by, uh, um, for example, many, many writers have said endlessly how important it is to read. I was um, intrigued and fine once in an interview in a local paper put on the spot and said if you had to choose between being a writer and a reader. I think she actually said a reader if she had to sacrifice one of her talents. So people who say, well, I don't read modern poetry or I don't read books. I don't want to be influenced. I want to be original. It's absurd. Books breed books. Words breed words. So those young people out there who've got a little inkling of that desire to write, reading is powerful. And I always say, be in tune with language. You've got to love language at every dimension, every register of speech. Because going to school, I picked up words. So instead of telling my friends, absurd, you start showing off language. Something is no longer absurd, it's preposterous. Mm. And um, you're no longer surprised, you're consternated, you're flabbergasted. Mm. And an English priest, um, well, he's Scottish in fact, um, Father Maxwell, who was teaching us for O-Level, he was fond of books of P.G. Woodhouse. And he would read to us, like P.G. Woodhouse. And I, I liked the P.G. Woodhouse. I liked um, the Carry On series. And you might remember a line from Jeeves. So uh, Wooster puts on a tie. How do I look? And he says, a trifle bizarre, sir. And you're picking up a vocabulary. And I think many colonial, ex-colonial colonies writers... What excited them about those books which might have fallen from grace and no longer seen as politically correct? They weren't thinking of, well, this isn't about my landscape. I don't know what's a strawberry. I've never seen a daffodil. But they were imbibing words. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.